Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Love, Victor on Hulu, Perry Mason on HBO, Crossing Swords on Hulu, and Floor is Lava on Netflix. So stay tuned to the end to find out how BJ and I would do on Floor is Lava. Neither of us would touch the lava. Facts. So how about we start with Love, Victor, a nice YA romance story. Love, Victor is an offshoot of the hit movie Love, Simon that's also based on a book. And this show is centered around Victor, played by Michael Cimino, who moves with his family from Texas to Georgia. And he's scared that his family won't accept him as queer. His mom, Isabel, is played by the flawless human being, Ana Ortiz. His dad, Armando, is played by James Martinez. And his sister, Pilar is played by Isabella Ferreira. He also acquires an adorable dorky friend and neighbor who's maybe a little bit obsessed with him named Felix, who's played by Anthony Turple. So Beach, in this first episode, we just see him in the classic YA universe navigating a high school and being met with bullies. How did you feel about it? This had a lot of those stereotypical high school cliches, but I think it was fun to go into that from the perspective of a person of color. So Victor is from a Colombian slash Puerto Rican family. And I think that really does change how he views things and also how we see him interacting with people. And I think it elevates this genre. So it's not always from the perspective of like in Love, Simon, the white male teen who's coming of age. But here we have someone who can speak to another audience. And specifically with Love, Simon, he still struggled. So not to diminish his experience, but he talked about how his family was super liberal. And there's a really sweet moment where he and Victor actually exchange DMs which is a call back to the movie with the narrating over the text. And he says that his parents have protest sneakers. They go out and protest so much and indicating that they advocate for people's rights. Whereas with Love, Victor, he comes from this very conservative home, super religious home, and is what a lot of immigrant kids have talked about is like helping to be the connector, especially as an older child, between your parents and the world. His mom calls him her rock and says that she never has to worry about him. Yes. It makes him think he can never come out to her. He never wants to stress her out because he is overexposed to her stressors and doesn't want to add to them because he knows how under pressure she is. His parents definitely put him in a tough position without realizing it, that he's always been a well-behaved, well-mannered child, that he feels pressure and an obligation to be unproblematic, to not disrupt the norm of the family. And it's always just his sister Pilar, who's the troublemaker, the one who will rebel or riot. And he has to maintain this demeanor of, I'm the good kid, I follow all of your expectations, and I'm not going to come home with any surprises. That's hard. It is hard. How does this compare for you to other YA stories? I think you and I are both pretty firmly in YA hive. Yes. And I think it hits all of those high notes. He has his fun, quirky best friend. He's the new kid in the school. So we get to meet all of the different cliques and social groups at the high school. He immediately has two love interests. He has the over-involved principal who's getting into his life and teaching him things where I don't think a teacher should have these opinions or share them with a student. (laughs) 
She's played by Natasha Rothwell, and Natasha Rothwell is incapable of mistakes. And then you have the family who just doesn't understand what he's going through. And while all of that sounds generic, I think sometimes a formula for a genre is really useful. If it works, why mess it up too much? Instead, just add the unique bends. In this case, it is inherently unique, him being able to share this story coming from a Latinx working class home. But then also, he has these two crushes. He has Mia, played by Rachel Naomi Hilson, and Benji, played by George Sear. And that's something you don't get to see enough. Someone getting to explore their sexuality and be attracted to more than one kind of person. It really fits with the whole concept that he mentions in the episodes, the narrator, that he's not sure what he likes. And he's trying to figure that out. And we get to go on that journey with him. It's a cute, fun journey. Also, shout out to his bully, Andrew, played by Mason Gooding, who was perfect in the movie Booksmart, which is also a perfect movie. There was one bully gag that made me laugh. Victor is good at basketball and is recruited to join the basketball team. And the point guard on the team is intimidated by Victor and doesn't want him to join. And one of the ways that he tries to shame him away is he starts a GoFundMe for Victor to be able to afford to be on the team. I was also thrown off. Why does he have to pay $500 to join? I played varsity sports and didn't pay. I don't know. I only associated paying like that for AAU. I didn't know you had to pay for just regular sports. So one thing, despite all the things that this show has accomplished, I think we should point out an important topic in terms of selecting the cast for a show. This series, just like Love, Simon, actually casts a leading actor who is not queer. How do you feel about them choosing someone who doesn't line up exactly with their character? I think with stories of representation like this, it would have been way cooler if they could find a Latinx person who identifies as queer for the role. But I hope that we don't have to keep having these conversations. And I hope that we reach a stage in Hollywood generally where we don't care if someone straight is playing gay because all roles are available to everyone. But we're not at that point. So when straight people take these roles from people who are LGBTQ plus identified, you are limiting their roles because they're not given access to the opportunity to play straight people, even though they could. It's the same thing that we're seeing with voice acting, where white people are resigning from roles where they voice acted people of color. And it's like, I don't care who voice acts who unless there's like accents involved. And then that's when we are getting into weird cultural appropriation territory. But it also means that BJRI could voice act a white character. There just isn't a free for all yet. And I think we need to address that part first. It's not a level playing field yet. And so we need to solve some other issues before we get to the point where we won't have these conversations anymore. And anyone can play anyone and it's chill. Yeah, I could play everyone and it'll be great. Anyway, me too. What would you rate Love, Victor on Hulu? I would watch again casually. I think this show is fun. It is very sweet. I am a true sucker for YA. And if you are too, then I think this will be a fun watch for you. I would also strongly recommend Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever on Netflix. That's a very good YA show as well. What about you, Beach? I would say not for me, but I would definitely recommend watching this casually if you're looking for another YA romance story. For me, I like YA that's a little more action oriented. Like Daybreak. Yeah, just like Daybreak. You know me so well. Beach, I know you like I know the back of my hand. Where's the back of your hand? 
on the back of my hand. Let's take things from sunny Atlanta to moody noir 1930s LA with Perry Mason. Tell us about it. Perry Mason is an origin story miniseries based on the character of the same name, and he is played by Matthew Reese. He's a private investigator based in LA who is assigned by his attorney and mentor, E.B. Jonathan, played by John Lithgow, to investigate a gruesome child kidnapping and murder that has taken over the news in 1931. Perry also is divorced, lives away from his son, and is struggling with substance use. This was an interesting gritty take on a murder mystery. We have Perry, who, like you were mentioning, is very troubled. He came back from the war. He probably saw a lot of messed up things and is dealing with that trauma and turning to substances and just sleeping around to get some sort of endorphins. And he has a very strained relationship with his ex-wife, which then puts even more strain on his relationship with his son. And now he's being brought in to the mystery for this miniseries that involves a child kidnapping and child murder. And this is also a family son. And that's resonating with him on a whole nother level and putting this other struggle within him. How do you feel about having our leading character be so complicated? It's a classic noir trope in the same way that Love, Victor felt like a classic YA show. Feels odd to compare the shows. But Perry Mason, I would argue sometimes almost bordered on parody because it was so within the theme of noirs with a troubled investigator who takes shady means to reach seemingly good conclusions and finding out who done it. The mystery is especially gruesome. We see a dead child and that's not something that is often displayed on media. I know it really surprised me. And I think automatically raised the stakes of the mystery of him trying to figure out what happened. How did you feel about the mystery? I think it's a simple idea of this kidnapping with the ransom leading to the murder. But I think, like you said, the gruesomeness of seeing the body, which was also mutilated, and they showed that. Yes. And the shady aspects of the parents, Matthew and Emily, who are a member of this special church, and we now are suspicious of what's going on with them. It really makes this a interesting case. A blooming onion of mystery. Lots of layers. There's so many layers to it that add on to such a simple idea that make this worth watching. But speaking of the shady behavior, I just wanted to throw this in for our listeners. One of Perry Mason's side jobs is to spy on people. He is a private investigator. And this leads to one of two sex scenes. There's nudity in this, which it's HBO. So that's not too surprising. I think it's par for the course at the home box office entertainment offices. (laughs) Just be aware. (laughs) The first nude scene, he is attempting to blackmail actors and shake down a studio to not release photos of them doing 19. 30s indecent things with food honestly i laughed it was very funny there were moments in the show that were really funny they're dark but they were funny like he had a stain on his tie so he went to the morgue and bribed the coroner to get a suit off of a dead guy he just got the tie the coroner offered him a suit true (laughs) he walked away 
How do you feel about this iteration of Perry Mason? This is a classic character. In this case, it's not a remake, but rather an origin story. We see the vulnerable, broken Perry Mason before the hero that was portrayed on TV decades ago and in radio. So I'm not as familiar with the history of Perry Mason as you are. I just haven't watched those previous iterations. But I like that HBO is doing an origin story or like a prequel instead of rebooting it because it's introducing me to this character. And I'm assuming this would let me go into those older iterations and understand the character a bit more, while also, from a business perspective, giving HBO the opportunity to go in whatever direction they want with the character. How do you feel? I would also say that Matthew Reese is great as Perry Mason. He stands up to the previous actors? I think so. The writing and the story sometimes borders on ridiculous, but his acting meets it. I think we should also mention some people of interest involved with this project. So one of my favorite actresses right now, Tatiana Maslany, who you may know from Orphan Black, is going to be on this show. She didn't make an appearance in this first episode, or if she did, we missed it. Yes. But I'm excited to see her involvement. And also, Robert Downey Jr. is an executive producer. Interesting. So do you want to see more episodes of this Robert Downey Jr. executive produced show? I think so. Matthew Reese did an amazing job as Perry Mason. And I think the mystery is interesting enough that I want to see where it goes. And I feel like there's a lot going on with this mysterious church that I want to see uncovered. So I would watch this again, probably seriously. Wow. What about you? I would say there's enough there that I want to know what comes next. And I would recommend to our listeners, but it is gruesome. So I think for me and the other soft hearted listeners like me, it was a lot. It was violent. It was bloody. There was a really prolonged murder scene at the end where you literally saw the light go out of someone's eyes. So I think this is something that I couldn't watch seriously or binge in any way because it was just a lot to take in. I'll probably take breaks. That's fair. It's dark and heavy. Very dark. You know what's dark, heavy, but funny? What? Crossing swords. Well, Beach, tell me what happened. So this series follows our main character, Patrick, voiced by Nicholas Holt, and he is just a good-hearted peasant who has a dream of becoming a squire at the royal castle working for the king. He actually goes on a journey to the kingdom to pursue this dream, but it turns out to be a lot different than he was expecting when he meets some shady characters, horny monarchs, crooks, charlatans, and a whole cast of characters, including his new best friend, Broth, voiced by Adam Pally. And to make things worse, Patrick has a rather unsupportive family. <laughs> yes. Especially his three siblings, who all have very interesting career paths, and they are essentially just tormenting their little brother. So he has one brother, Blarney, who is a clown, voiced by Tony Hale. He has another brother who's a rogue, Reuben, voiced by Adam Ray, and then his sister, who is a pirate queen, Coral, voiced by Tara Strong. So really, we're just going to see a lot about war, murder. There's, believe it or not, full frontal nudity, even though all the characters are armless, feetless pegs. 
and it's going to be a whole adventure. What did you think of this series? I think if you like a show like Robot Chicken, this show will be for you. I feel like it sits really well within that genre of absurd stop motion. It was also cool to just see what they were able to do with these armless block characters. At some points, I think I was more focused on how cool it was that they were able to get them to move around and hold things and interact with each other than I was focused on the humor. You wanted to know, how does this world work where they can hold swords? Yes. And we still don't know. As our resident animation expert, how do you feel about the usage of stop motion versus 2D or 3D animation? I'm the expert by default, listeners. Well, when there's two of us (laughs) and one of us likes something more, you just have to become the expert at it. You are a comedy expert, so. (laughs) Yes, Because I simply like comedy shows. Am I actually an expert in comedy? Are you actually an expert in stop motion animation? Yes. (laughs) Look at how we both (laughs) lie so easily. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, Peach. I like stop motion. I think it adds a playfulness to it. Because you really do feel like you're watching these creators play with these little peg people versus watching a show. And it feels more tangible. Like you literally feel like you could reach out and pick up these characters. It also, from a production point, is very laborious to do all of these frames and like move them a little bit, snap, move them a little bit. But the effect is always really impressive. So if you are willing to put in the effort, you can create some cool art. What did you think of the voice cast? Were they funny enough to meet your expert comedy taste? I thought they were really good. I like a lot of the actors who voice acted here. I'm a very big fan of Tony Hale, Seth Green, Brecken Meyer, Wendy McClendon Covey. And even though I am a big fan of each of these people, They did such a great job of having their voices match the characters. Seth Green, of course, being great at voiceover acting, but I was really impressed by it. I think the only person who took me out of it a little bit is Adam Pally. It's almost unfair to say that because he just has such a strong Midwestern, I think, Chicago accent that it's so distinctive that as soon as he started speaking, I was like, oh, that's Adam Pally. He has a very recognizable voice. But oddly enough, it works for the character Broth. Fully agreed. I stopped and thought that is Adam Pally. But then I was like, Broth is Adam Pally. And Adam Pally is Broth. It's all the same person. So it's okay. (laughs) Or at least who he portrays. We don't know Adam Pally. But yeah. One interesting thing about this battle that he entered to become a squire, it was very Hunger Games style of the talent competition and having all of these different phases and trying to get through to becoming a squire. And he does well in these challenges because his siblings tortured and taunted him so much. That torture and taunting taught him. That was a nice plot development that all of the defensive mechanisms he had to build up during his childhood actually played as strengths in this competition. Because Reuben is a bandit, he knew that there was a part where a wizard was playing with cards, a classic find the card trick. And he knew that the card was not any of the three in front of him and that it was probably hidden somewhere on the wizard. And that's thanks to Reuben that he won that challenge. So maybe it's a good thing that his sibling was so torturous. Although his other sibling did teach him to lie to women, which didn't work. But there was a positive message of consent. 
in the very end. That's true. It was interesting that these characters don't fully have discernible limbs, but they had genitalia. Just the important parts. So, do you want to see more important parts of these characters in future episodes of Crossing Swords? Ew. Listeners, this isn't going to come as a surprise. I'm going to pass on an adult comedy. But, like Me Too said with the comparison to Robot Chicken, which I think was a really good comparison, this falls in that same line of shows. And so, if you do like that style of comedy, or you're just looking for an adult comedy that doesn't have limits, because shows like Family Guy being on mainstream TV do have some limitations. This show pushes past that and I think would be enjoyable. For me, I'm not going to watch it again. Fully agreed. I don't think I'm the audience for this show, but it's the same producers that created Robot Chicken. If you're into that universe of comedy and animation, you'll like this show. It's a great show for that genre. So how about we switch over to a new genre? This is reality game shows based off of children's games. I think you're talking about Netflix's Floor is Lava, which is hosted by Rutledge Wood. And there are three teams who try to reach a goal in each episode while avoiding booby traps and lava, which fills the rooms. Nothing beats this Google summary that I found for the first episode, which is a woman and her college bound twins, three pastors and a set of triplets use a mummy, an ark, and antiquities to traverse a flooded basement. The prize that they are avoiding the lava for is $10,000 and a lava lamp that is valued at $29 and the chance to meet Rutledge Wood. Those are exciting prizes. So the real question to start things off, me too, did you play The Floor is Lava as a child? 100%. Good. I'm happy to know you had a normal childhood in some aspects. Thank you, Beach. Sometimes I would take a break from reading to do things. Of course, you were reading a book. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, let's dive into the teams because I think they, along with Rutledge as the narrator, are what make this show so interesting. Our first team is a mother and her twin children. And to be honest, I think they were the standouts, not only in terms of performance, but their dynamics. How did you feel about them? For sure. So Shadi was the mom and Talia and Bryce are the twins. And what you see in this show, which we can get into later on strategy, is the team that did well was the team that was unified. And in the teams that didn't do as well, there was intra-team conflict and they didn't move as a unit. And there's a part where Bryce sacrifices his knees, landing on them to get from platform to platform to help his mom and his sister. There's a part where Talia truly throws her body in order to help her mom and her brother. And there's a part where Shadi lands face first into something to help her kids. That's three people who are working together very closely to achieve a goal. On the truly opposite side of that, you have the Verzi triplets, Alex, Sean, and Mitchell, who were, I think, the definition of the term wise guys. They were always picking on each other. And the odd thing was, even though they are a team, they were definitely competing against each other. And messing with each other and taking time to joke around. And it was entertaining to watch. But I think if I were, let's say, a fourth team member with them, I would have been very angry. They were not motivated by that prize. They were just having a good time 
on the lava. I'm not sure if they were aware of the prize or why <laughs> it felt so low stakes. And not to give away my rating, but I've seen more episodes of the show already. And when one of the teammates goes in the lava and is effectively eliminated, thus lowering your chances of accessing $10,000, they do this dramatic, no, and they smile and laugh through it. Whereas I think if I had my chances right in front of me sink into hot water, (laughs) I don't think I would be laughing it off. I will say it's probably very funny to watch your teammate (laughs) sit in red water and pretend to die. (laughs) And you have to act like, oh no, they burn. That's true. By the way, did you play Floor is Lava growing up? Of course. And you have to throw like pillows or couch cushions around. That's good. I'm glad you were a serious athlete. And then the last team we have are the pastors. So Danny, I think, is a head pastor and signed up Katie and Johnny, youth pastors at his church, without their knowledge. He said they always work well together. So why not just recruit them and just hope that trend continues? One thing that we noticed as we were watching was that it almost felt like they knew what to expect to a greater degree than people's thrown into the room. Do you think they're prepped escape room style where you get that hint when you walk in, you know, look for this clue or pay attention to this thing or try this approach? I definitely think they are given some sort of clues because there are a lot of switches or movable objects that you want to use to navigate the course. And sometimes to even get to the end, you need to. And so I think they're prepped to be on the lookout for these things. And we as the viewers are given a breakdown of the map. This first level is called the basement and Rutledge breaks down the different paths for us as the viewers. And I have a feeling the teams also were given an overview of what the obstacle course looks like. Even though they still sacrificed their bodies along the way. That is another question. I don't know, neither of us know what these crates and pyramids and things are made of. But even if they are somewhat soft and flexible, these people are really risking their chins, noses, joints, just their whole bodies. Shadi literally landed face first into something. I know that's a phrase that people say, but she genuinely landed face first than the rest of her. Even if I jumped into my bed like that, it would still hurt. But for $10,000. I would do it. How do you feel about reality shows now being based about children's games? We previously saw Ultimate Tag. And I think this is just a growing trend where like you reboot a franchise. Now we're just taking from these classic games we all remember. I thought this was a really fun take on it. I love the inclusion of actual lava that the contestants had to be like, oh, it's hot. It was really a fun take. And because the game is so in your imagination, they could go anywhere with it, setting up the field itself. The courses that they've designed, they're really fun. And like you said, they take what you're always imagining in your head, but now you can literally see it. Are you ready to rate Flora's Lava on Netflix? What do you feel about Flora's Lava? (laughs) Would watch again. Seriously, listeners, I watched Flora's Lava yesterday. I've already seen four more episodes of it. It's a very big hit in my home. 
It's so fun. And the team dynamics are so fun. And Rutledge is a great host. So his jokes are fun. And they land the same way these people land on their faces and their knees and their backs. I love it. What about you, Beach? I also really enjoyed it. This was probably the highlight, guys, of this week's shows that we watched. It was fun. I would watch it again seriously. And I think this is just a nice way to spend your time watching television this summer. It also made me want to be on the show. There are very few reality show game shows that I would want to participate in, but this is one of them. That's such a good metric. Y'all, BJ and I did an escape room and made very good time. I think you, me, my partner, and our friend who joined us, that foursome would do great at this. Well, who would be our backup? I almost said my partner, but he's tall. We could use his height. I would happily sit it out and just split the money with y'all. Nah, I need you to leap across from crate (laughs) to crate onto a pyramid. I am fast. I feel like you would be the one who just wouldn't stop. You just keep leaping, keep that momentum up. My anxiety would not let me stop for a moment and focus on what's happening. I would just be forward motion as soon as I get in there to the detriment of everyone else. I would not be a team player. I would just be like, I need to get out of this. I'm overstimulated. And if you ever got trapped on like a pyramid in the middle of the lava, you might sacrifice yourself, not even for the team, just to get out of there. (laughs) If you think I'm going to let that hot red water touch me and my hair, you have another thing coming. All right, Beach, where can our listeners find more of the Pilot Podcast? You can find more of our episodes on our website at thepilotpodcast.com. And if you want some additional content, consider subscribing to the Pilot Podcast Deep Dive, where we take a deep dive into the pilot episode of a single show in one episode. And you can find out more by going to join.thepilotpodcast.com. And we put two of our deep dive episodes in our regular stream during our break last week and the week before. So let us know your thoughts on those. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the pilot pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, your floor is lava strategies to ask the pilot podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>